ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Look what it means to this group of players. They had their backs to the walls. From the very first two games of this tournament, they had to dig deep. And haven't they done that? The legacy of Australian teams continue through World Cups. That's Ricky Ponting on last month's historic World Cup victory. Most think it's Australia's best ever. A kind of America's Cup moment for cricket. The question is... Who's going to be able to see the next one? With news that Amazon has the rights for ICC tournaments until 2027, it means huge moments like Travis Head's 100 will be for those that can afford access inside the paywall. Paying for sport is nothing new, but the fragmentation is getting hectic. I mean, if you consumed the Rugby, Soccer and Cricket World Cups this year, you probably used a combination of streamers Stan, SBS, Optus 9 and KO. So are fans at breaking point? What's this going to mean for sports that need broadcasters' cash but crave access to eyeballs? I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Jack Snape is a sport reporter with The Guardian Australia. Jack, Amazon is the latest streaming service. To get a piece of cricket in the Australian market, what does their deal with the ICC mean for local cricket fans? It means they're likely to have to purchase an Amazon Prime video subscription, which costs about $10 a month, if they want to see any one of these major ICC tournaments. That's uh, T20 World Cups, ODI World Cups, World Test Championships. That's in the air and taken. Australia win the World Test Championship. It's a comprehensive win, win by 210 runs. And of course, this is both men's and women's cricket uh, over the next four years. So it looks like uh, they might have to dip into their pocket to see the matches that they want. This story is simultaneously new and old. I mean, we're used to the creep of pay TV or pay stream in sport. What I found interesting here, though, is that there's no free-to-air component. I mean, the World Cup just gone was on Fox Sports and KO, but key games were also on Channel 9. Why is that different in this instance? Well, yeah, it's, it's not clear right now just how much interest, you know, Channel 9 and other free-to-air networks had in these rights. But I reckon it's important to look at them, the actual tournaments that are covered. They might not actually be that attractive for someone like Channel 9. Let's look at the the one-day World Cup in India that we've just had. Uh, That was timed so the first session was pretty much in Australian prime time. But matches, they they went on, they finished close to dawn. Australia made the final, so for local broadcasters, that was the best possible result. For the Blues in the blue corner, Roy Sharma. For the man in yellow, in the yellow corner, Pat Cummins. And so that final, for example, Channel 9, um, for the first session, it reached 1.6 million people in Australia. But then after that, it dropped off quickly. The second session was down to about 700,000. That's about what the ABC 7pm bulletin on a Sunday night rates. So it's by no means a huge audience. And that was for the best possible outcome for Australian broadcasters, given Australian players were in the final. It was a heavily anticipated match. But just imagine if Australia went out earlier, you know, for example, the first match against India, the first session of that game was just the 12th highest rating show uh, for that day. So it shows that the value of these rights isn't actually that great for free-to-air networks. And in fact, it might be more fitting or compelling for subscription providers like Amazon Prime to get them. And and so they require desperate cricket fans who really want to see the games to actually fork out for that subscription money. 
So it's a bit of an opportunity cost for these broadcasters or streamers. I'm interested also in the anti-siphoning element of this conversation and how the rights work. I mean, under the existing model, as I understand it, you know, free-to-air has a chance to buy the rights if they think the value is there, which you're saying it maybe isn't always the case. But is there an acceptable threshold before they're opened up to subscription players like Fox, Amazon, Stan, etc.? Or is it essentially a bidding war? Yeah, anti-siphoning, really interesting area. The rights covered under this Amazon Prime deal aren't actually covered by the anti-siphoning list. So siphoning, it's kind of means that traditionally that the rights for footy, for example, would be siphoned off TV onto then pay TV. But in this new streaming landscape, it, it, they kind of don't make as much sense. They're essentially set up so that they make it more likely for nationally significant sporting events get shown on free-to-air. But it's often much more complicated than that because, you know, for example, every NRL and AFL match is, is actually on the anti-siphoning list, but not every one of those gets on to free-to-air television. So in practice, the scheme just improves the bargaining position of the free-to-air companies when they negotiate with codes over rights, you know, given that they have to say, all right, we elect not to have an interest in these rights. And that that then allows the codes to negotiate with subscription companies. Uh, For major sports, it's fine, but it might be more difficult for minor sports, you know, really looking to drum up as much revenue as they can for their rights. They want to have greater control over the packages they, they sell and they might want to go direct to a subscription company and, and pitch something to them. If they've got this anti-siphoning provision requiring them to negotiate with a free-to-air company, it makes their life a little bit more, uh, more difficult. Just briefly, who decides what goes on the anti-siphoning list? How is that d- determination made? It's uh, keenly fought over. The uh, decision is ultimately made by the Minister for Communications in the federal government. And we've actually had just recently a, a big barney over what should or shouldn't be on the list again. Uh, the federal government's just announced um, what looks to be their new list. A few minor changes, mainly putting, for example, more Matilda's matches on the list. A touch beyond Van Eckhoff, but it drops nicely here now for Mary Fowler who angles it back towards Ellie Carpenter, still there, it's Razzo, can they force it over the line, yes, Mary Fowler, roof of the net, Australia too clear for Matildas in dreamland in Melbourne. Obviously in this new streaming landscape, things change so often and what might be decided today might be uh, out of touch in a few years, so it's likely to continue changing. The Amazon acquisition is also intriguing to me for what it means for sports fans. Are sports fans showing fatigue with this ongoing fragmentation as there's ever more streaming services offering up little bits and pieces of sport? Well, yeah, Pat. Last month, Deloitte, they released the annual Media and Entertainment Consumer Insights Report. Interesting finding for that is 73% of respondents said they just wanted to be able to watch everything from one spot. Now, that includes, you know, for example, Netflix and, and movies on Netflix and, and shows on Stan and, and various other things like that. But super relevance for sport, you know, for example, cricket fans, if they now have an Amazon Prime subscription and, you know, they'll watch cricket on Channel 9, they might go to their smart TV and just want cricket in one place. This is the challenge, knowing what's on and where and what time 
football fans perhaps uh, more than anyone know the, the pain of this and they've endured you know having three four five subscriptions in recent years to get all the football they want it's a big problem that everyone tends to agree but the issue is really the money is coming from the subscription the streaming providers and sports are finding it hard to turn that down we'll see whether the fragmentation continues there's some indication that maybe the companies are struggling to hold on to subscribers it might mean they've got less money to spend on rights. But at this stage, we're not seeing any consolidation of rights across you know, major streaming companies. What about the impact on the sports themselves? I mean, it seems a trade-off between broadcast dollars and access to audience. You could argue rugby's paid a huge price for living their professional existence behind a paywall. I think men's white ball cricket teams have probably had audiences disconnecting with them at a level. How do you think sporting codes are being impacted? Yeah, sporting codes, they generally want two things, pretty simple. They want, you know, eyeballs and money. <laughs> but when it comes to these deals, there's always a trade-off between the two. For executives, money helps immediately, solves many different problems. And, you know, it could help in the long term if it's well invested. But eyeballs, these have these, you know, some immediate uh, benefits, you know, for advertising revenue and things. But there are these indirect benefits that's very hard to quantify. You know, long into the future... What value do, do you put on, you know, kids watching Matilda's games on Channel 7 this year? <laughs> what they'll be doing in 30 years. And that's what makes sports rights so compelling at the moment. These are real gambles that the uh, sporting organisations are making, that broadcasting companies are making. And it's, it's not clear at this stage exactly what the best path is forward to ensure each sport's really looking after itself in the long term. Can the genie go back in the bottle, Jack? Well, the genie is definitely out. Can it go back in the bottle? Some people are trying to squeeze it back into the bottle. I spoke to Football Australia Chief Executive James Johnson on this topic about has it been hard for sports fans, for football fans and their splintered streaming services? He admitted it has been hard. And one of the approaches he's taking or his organisation is taking is actually bundling as many rights as they can. So as many football matches, that's Matilda's matches, Socceroos matches, even the Women's World Cup in 2027, they've packaged them all up to try and aggregate them into a single bundle that they can then sell to one streaming company or one free-to-air network. That decision or that strategy is really to make it easier for fans to know that they don't have to seek out four, five, six different companies to watch the football they want. But there's also some effort by tech companies and smart TVs to aggregate all the content inside these interfaces. So it means you might have a Stan Sports subscription, an Amazon Prime subscription, a Netflix subscription. But if you search in your smart TV, it'll show you what's coming up, what's on now, what you can watch uh, just in that single interface. And that might be one way of overcoming this fragmentation. Super interesting right now, Jack. Thanks so much for pulling it all apart for us. Absolute pleasure, Pat. Have a good day. Headlines. The Mitchell Johnson versus David Warner slash George Bailey feud continues with the ex-fast bowler discussing the reaction to his scathing column on his former teammate. Johnson says he and Warner have been on poor terms since before the Ashes when the opener was upset by questions around his position in the team from Johnson. Mitch was clearly unimpressed by selector George Bailey. To ask if I'm okay because I've had mental health issues is pretty much downplaying my article. And putting it on mental health, which is quite disgusting, I think. But 
Yeah, look, I, I'm I'm fine. I'm not angry. I'm not jealous. I'm just writing a piece that I felt was, well, for me, that I felt like I needed to write. We covered the story in yesterday's podcast with Pete Lawler. Take a listen if you want to get across it. Rafa Nadal will play the Brisbane International in January, the first time he's played on tour since last year's Oz Open. He is managing expectations, though. In a video he posted online, the Spaniard said he won't demand the maximum from himself and that he is in unexplored terrain. And speaking of elite competitors coming to Australia, two-time cycling world champ Julian Alaphilippe will take part in the Tour Down Under in January. The Tour de France fave will be among the favourites for the ochre jersey. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Poppy Penny. Thanks to Channel 9, Optus Sport, the Mitchell Johnson Cricket Show and Fox Sports for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.